Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. The next sequel that we're going to be covering is in honor of college spring break. When you think college movies, you think Animal House, you think Revenge of the Nerds, and from now on, I'm going to think Ghoulies Go to College. The movie has a young Matthew Lillard, Kane Hodder, and a voice of the talking cat Ghoulie. Well, it's going to make you fall over. Google it if you like. <laughs> what I love most is the fact that covering that movie led me to interviewing this week's guest, cinematographer Ron Schmidt, or director of photography. It's cool because he broke down the technical terms and why one is one and why one is the other, which is so great to hear. So we had a similar conversation, if you've been around for a while, back in December talking with what he likes to be called, what he prefers, cinematographer Stephen Poster. And Stephen and Ron have a connection, which I think was pretty cool. And I loved hearing Ron's origin story, you know, how he stumbled into his career, you know, into his future career while in high school and shop class. So we talked about his journey, you know, that involves Roger Corman, The Mist, The Shield, just his career covers the direct to VHS, the TV movie. And really, The Shield is the start of like those HBO-like shows on cable. So, so much fun to talk about. He loves what he does, and you can hear it during the conversation. Unfortunately, I didn't have my mic plugged in, so Ron sounds awesome. I sound like kind of gargly, but luckily in the interviews, I want to make sure the guests talk the most, so it, he sounds great. And you're going to love him. Before I start the interview, do me a solid. Subscribe wherever you're listening. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And without further ado, here is cinematographer or director of photography, Ron Schmidt. It just looked a little geeky. How's that? Oh, is that wow, better? That's <laughs> okay. Geeky, that's awesome. Cool, man. This is my, awesome. my daughter gave me these. So nice. She'll be proud. She'll be proud of this. Yeah. Really Dad's using that uh, Christmas Jesus. gift. That's good. Yeah. yeah, it was exactly it two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I look great at the gym with my beats on. You know, and they're like, oh, okay. You can't be that old. Well, this guy's cool. Beats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good. Cool, man. This is awesome. Uh, I love talking to people, cinematographers. I just talked to. Stephen Poster, who was like, oh, great choice. Yeah, he was cool. No, that's that's a great egg. Well, that's a tough act to follow. No, no, I love, no. I love him. Oh, you know him? Is that like a little tight knit community? Um, you reach a certain level, and you kind of keep running across the same uh, same folks. I actually have a Stephen Poster connection in that when I was in college at AFI. And they let us kind of intern with a big name uh, cinematographer. And guess you, know, you can guess the end of this uh, really? conversation it was Stephen Poster, and he was working on Big Top P. Yes. If you've ever seen, yeah, that. we actually. You know, it's funny we didn't talk about that one because I don't like talking about all the credits because I like to hear more of like folks' origin story and then like like what goes into the job and things like that. So that was one of the sequels we didn't talk about. We talked more like Rocky five. And he told me like his traumatic experience working with John Abelson and 
getting canned yeah. left to go on it. But oh, oh, okay. oh gosh, yeah. But not for anything he did. So uh, that's pretty wild, though, all, of all people. Seldom is uh, your fault that you get fired as a cinematographer. When I was in college, one of my instructors, Howard Schwartz, said that you can't call yourself a director of photography until you've been fired. And I didn't get that at all. I was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with it. I'm good. I'm, I, I know what I'm doing. This is not going to happen. And then it finally happened, sort of probably similar to Stephen's story. I don't know it. But, you know, you're fired for no reason other than someone else should have been fired, but they couldn't fire that someone else. <laughs> and so... Oh, I get it. Okay, yes, you're right. Now, now I'm a cinematographer. Oh. Now I'm a director of photography. I've been fired for no reason. So, what is the term that you like to use? Because I, Stephen, told me it's the same thing, right? Um, it's same. I love cinematographer. Yeah. I think director of photography is almost a union term. When we work in the union, we have certain staffing requirements there, which includes a camera operator, and most of the time. On union films, they uh, you you hire someone, and the the cinematographer or director of photography doesn't actually operate, doesn't hold or tilt oh. the camera there. And so, because we, you know, it, it's union, we got to get all the brothers and sisters yeah. working, you know. So, <laughs> uh, but in the earlier non-union days, I would always be the the camera operator and the director of photography. So I like cinematographer. I think it's the more. It sounds. I think it sounds better because I feel like when you hear director of photography, you're trying to like figure out because you hear photography, and when you hear the word photography, you think still, and you're like, what kind of still? Yeah, is going into the movie, right? Yes, yes. Does that mean you took the, the, the pictures for the advertisements? Yeah, I, yeah exactly. I, I, I agree. I get it. It's almost, now that you explain it that way, that you're not behind the camera. So you're like setting up yeah. that yeah. still, and then somebody else is operating yeah. it, but that doesn't really. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. In a television, it's actually very useful. There, there's a time and place for it. I, I miss doing both. And then I also, now that I'm mostly doing television, I, I'm so grateful yeah. for that. Come Friday night when it's when I'm exhausted. Uh, yeah, here, you can take the camera. You can carry it around for the next four hours. I'm going to sit in my chair and sip some coffee and try and remain awake for the rest of the day. <laughs> so, Ron, how does your story begin? You grew up in Hawaii? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Which is a long way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the mean streets of Kailua, Hawaii. It's a, they, I know that's an old joke. Everyone you know, start start off with the the stale ones there. Um, I was uh, actually in high school. Uh, was taking a photography class, kind of because I wasn't so academically inclined, and that seemed like a fun way to get uh, get, get some of my credits out of the way. But I really liked it. And attached to the high, attached to the high, to the uh, high school photography class in the dark room. There's this other door, and it really, it's kind of like a children's story. You open the door up, and on the other side was an abandoned high school TV studio. Cameras, lights, even a, a Super 8 camera. Apparently, an earlier instructor there had set it all up, and the current photography instructor didn't know anything about it. Just closed the door and that was it. But I, I was just kind of walking around all the, uh, the with the lights off and a little, 
you know, just trying to feeling my way around these old cameras and cobwebs and everything on them, literally, and go, this is cool. This is very, very cool. And so uh, in the, out of that, and it's kind of right when MTV was starting out, that's how old I am. I don't, you know, I don't know what they're celebrating there, but I loved rock and roll and uh, love photography and love film. And I thought, well, if I can find a job that combines all three of these, you know, boom, <laughs> this is going to be great. This would be a great career. So that's that's kind of what got me started. I actually did a, a little film with this, literally the, the, the Super 8 camera they pulled off the shelf right. in the back of the studio there. And the, the, the film won an award for, for best cinematography, you know, and so I didn't even know what a cinematographer was when I won the award. So it's like, what kind of, what kind of film was it? Would you shoot like the usual cheap horror or? Uh, no, no, no. It's just a little, uh, it, it, it's actually very cute. It's called The Highest Peak, but it's spelled P-E-E-K. And uh, what it was, it's just I took a, uh, a cartoon from Playboy magazine and just kind of acted it out. And so this guy climbs, uh, follows him climbing a mountain. And then at the very top, he turns out he's a flasher and he kind of spreads open his raincoat and shows the world his uh, his naughty bits there. You know, all, all done in a 1980s tasteful Hollywood, you know, high school That's appropriate awesome. uh, style there. And so it got a lot of laughs. You know, it was probably, I think, a couple of minutes long. I, uh, very, very short. Yeah, but that's what, what you needed. The, the winning that award and, and that, the confidence. Yeah. So what was the, what was the next step after that? Did you stay local in Hawaii or? Uh, I did. I did. I, uh, while going to the local community college there, just taking general courses, I, I got a student intern or student job at the PBS station nice. in Hawaii. And that was really fun too. It was, it was nothing to do with production, just kind of working in the master control there, putting videotapes on and inserting the commercials and all of that. But I loved it. It was really fun. And it kind of gave me the confidence to take a shot at something better. Cause I felt like worst case, I could always go back to this job for the rest of my life, be very happy in Hawaii, work in a public television station very low key. Yeah, it would have been great. So at that point, I said, well, why don't I try a little schooling and see how far I could go there. Worked out. It was okay. <laughs> so you stay local in Hawaii after that? Or did you go to the States? Um, when next step after that was uh, Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara, which was a photography school that had a small film program. And Brooks Institute, you know, so I took the second uh, year and a half of photography, just straight up photography. But even that I studied knowing that I wanted to be a cinematographer. So everyone else in the, in the photography class would maybe turn the camera vertical. But back then, you can't, there's no movies yeah. that are vertical. So I shot every single, every single assignment horizontal there, you know. And uh, the other thing that would happen is, Back then, again, now this is different. You couldn't make any real changes. You could only make a, an image lighter or darker, maybe bluer or or warmer, but you couldn't really change it much. So I, I made sure to really adjust the lighting very accurately instead of doing all this darkroom stuff that you couldn't couldn't do uh, back in the day on, when when shooting uh, motion picture film there. And then uh, from there went to 
uh, Washington for a year, Washington D.C. Oh, okay. Following a, uh, I, I had a love of my life was working there at the time, you know, and so tried to follow her, and then we kind of figured out that that was uh, not really the love of my life, and not really going to work out forever. So that led back to Hollywood and uh, American Film Institute AFI, and that's kind of where the the professional career really. Wow, in DC, were you shooting anything? Like, what were you doing in DC? Just school? It was a combination. Yeah, it was a combination of uh, local uh, productions. You know, for I think I shot for the American Red Cross and United Way and Marriott Corporation. Just what what we call industrials, yeah. like little training films and things like that, which is great. That was the shooting, and then I also got to start working for company called uh, Washington Source for Lighting and they were doing movies and that's where I, I got a chance to work as an electrician on my first feature and that was a, like oh this is awesome this is really really great you know kind of like okay I got to do more of this and that was fun too that was really great. Steel is that your first feature Cold Steel? Um, no that was back there that that was called uh, yeah, let's see something going to the go-go or something like that it was uh by the you know by the people that did all these reggae films and then they were going to try and pop out something new for um go-go music didn't catch on but it was really fun yeah. didn't matter you know <laughs> i was just an electrician there cold steel i was just an electrician on again that was uh i think that was just a a prison movie if i remember that oh, that, that sounds right i was trying to guess just by the title, I didn't click on the title on IMDb. So what are you doing? Just running the wires for people? Is that is that what the job is? Exactly right. You know, setting setting up lights. Uh, electrician does most of the lighting, and then uh, times I would also work as a grip, which is uh, the people that I don't know how versed uh, your uh, podcast uh, listeners are, viewers, listeners. I'm not sure. You know, anyway, how. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So how, how versed the viewers are. The grips are kind of in America. They are in charge of controlling the lights. So the electricians will power and set up and aim the lights. And then the grips do two things. They kind of control the light, whether they're cutting it off of something, flagging someone, uh, softening it. And then the other thing they would do is move the cameras on the cranes and the, the dollies there. Wow. Then the, the love wasn't your love. You go back to, you go to AFI. Yeah. I, know. Now, I guess the timing of that works. Ah, yeah. Cold Steel's 87. I think Big Top Movie was probably yeah. 87, 88 around that time. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That was while I was in school there. Yeah, you're, you're well versed. Good, good job. You good pulled memory. That pulled good that memory. one out. <laughs> so I was just talking about Pee Wee Herman lately, too. That's a, I, well, he just did a big thing on. Some radio out there because his social media. I don't know how long he's been doing it, like Paul, because he still does late night appearances yeah. over the last five years. But as Paul Rubens, but lately, I think since yeah. the pandemic, yeah. he's Pee Wee online, and it's pretty oh. funny because he's the way he's typing and saying things. And he did a radio show out there, and it was like some really small station. And he wrote, "Hey, this is Pee Wee. I want to do the radio." And they thought it was fake. And they let him do it. And it was like this small station. A ton of people tuned in online. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for him. That's great. I'm, it, it's like he's had a time to uh, rehabilitate and <laughs> pl 
cleanup. And that was a great oh. character. That really was. He was so into it. That's a, oh, man. That's a good thing. I'm glad Pee Wee is coming back. The world is ready for Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, he did a movie on Netflix, I think, like seven years ago. But I think because the way they did, like, the in post, the way they made his face look or the makeup, he just looked like plasticky because they tried to make him look like he was 25, uh, 30. Again, almost you know? like a character. Yeah. No, no, no. Or actually, maybe that's what he looks like. Maybe there's no makeup <laughs> involved in that at all. Maybe. You know, we haven't really seen that him for true. a while. That's <laughs> It was, was already a lot of makeup going on there. So it could be. Could so be. you do that. You work with the great Stephen Poster. And then from there, is that like, was that like the end of your schooling? That internship is at the end of it? Yeah. But, you know, the, uh, what worked out and one of the main reasons I went to American Film Institute is because I was just a boy from Hawaii. I did not know anyone, did not have any family members in the industry. A little bit different era than today. It was a very closed shop. If you think about what was available work-wise, there's a small independent world doing schlocky films. And then there was the big union stuff. And that was uh, the three major networks, yeah. quite literally. And uh, and so. It it worked out, timed out, just purely by dumb luck, right when home videos were starting to take off. So some of my classmates from school uh, talked some other investor into giving them a few hundred thousand dollars. And we were able to shoot a series of horror movies with Jessica Raines as the uh, producer, Claude Raines' oh, daughter, awesome. FYI, who is one of, yeah, who is one of my classmates at AFI. And Jessica was awesome, and she collected some money. We did these uh, little horror movies that went straight to video. First time that had ever been done. It made a ton of money for the investors there, but gave someone like me and the directors some credits to start off with. You know, good enough credits to get us a Roger yeah, Corman Yeah, which movie. Roger Corman did you work on? This is a Roger Corman movie right here. Oh, yeah, excellent. Now we're yeah. munchy. <laughs> That's awesome. It's one of those like Jim Wynorski like family movies. This is, uh, this is oh, Jennifer yeah. Love Hewitt's first movie. Oh, see, that's just it. He found he so did. many great yeah. people. He had a really amazing nose for yeah, young talent. I mean, genius, quite genius. I, I would say half of the people that I worked with there went on to long, fruitful careers there. So. And I was in down there right around that time. Let's see. I did a couple of them. One of them, oh, you can even see, I keep it there because it's like my oh, favorite sweet. Line, is uh, the terror with the terror. Nice. Within. And I love that because that, that was just like the first real, in spite of these other horror movies, that was the first real 35 millimeter. Uh, I think it was released in Pacoima for five days, you know, <laughs> the actual theatrical release on that. But it was awesome. You know, we got to shoot movies. It was real movies there. And and The Terror Within is just a bad knockoff, a kind of a, a combination of Andromeda Strain meets Alien. And the script is almost exactly Alien beat for beat. And you're just like, oh, gosh. You know, it's like, it's, uh, it was fun. Uh, George Kennedy came in. You know, they, he would always do – he was genius, that guy. He would always have, like, one big name – to put, oh, on the, always. to put on the, the poster, the poster and the, and the video box. It's all that mattered. 
I think I think George Kennedy got a couple hundred thousand dollars for his three days of work, which George is fine, and he was a great guy, very professional. It, it was awesome. It was really it was really a blast. And that was a Corman movie. No, it's a Roger Corman movie. Absolutely. Yeah, he's good with that. And if you notice him and Jim Wynorski, if you ever watch a lot of their movies, I think most ideas get recycled and like just put in a different way. Yeah. There's a lot of their movies when you watch it, you're like. Yeah, that's sort of exactly like <laughs> yeah. blank, but what? instead of a guy, it's what? a girl or vice yeah, versa. Oh, it, it, it's just barely that. It's just barely that. In our case, instead of a spaceship, it was an underground uh, pandemic lab, you know, with different <laughs> floors. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and then in classic uh, Corman uh, skill set, you know, I, we were shooting this, this uh, underground lab, right? And then it was also about the time of Leviathan. So they took exactly the yeah. same set, these hallways and everything. They painted them kind of an aqua green. And now it was underwater set. And they had some monster outside. And I think they ended up using the same set a third time. And it was a spaceship. You know, not a, not a, not, nothing changed but the paint on those sets there. But it didn't matter. Absolutely didn't matter. It's quite genius. It's like, that's what was great about him. And I think it's funny. If you ever talk to Steven again, that's one of his regrets. And he never worked with Roger Corman when Are he you was coming up. Me? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, it's like that tight knit community. I think there's the Cormans of the world and like yeah. the Lloyd Kaufman, the trauma. There's like yeah. something yeah. Oh, to trauma do with it. Like, was great too. Yes. You know? Exactly. They were they were out on the east, you know, on the east side, but we were very well yeah. we trauma too. That would have been if, had it not been at Corman, I would have been very pleased to be at you know, at you know had it not been at Corman, it would have been pleased to be at Troma. That's it. Yeah, Troma is was a little bit like they were all sleeping in like the basement of an abandoned building, trying to shoot in like fourteen days. I'm sure, Corman was a little bit better, but no, he was the king it was. of reusing sets. Like Jim yeah. Wynorski yeah. shot Sorority House Massacre too, uh, all movie. within all within uh, like two weeks without yeah. Roger yeah. knowing. He convinced Roger's wife to do it. He used the same <laughs> set from another movie. And then they actually reused footage from like Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, like perfect. That's yeah. what they used to do. It's absolutely genius. Absolutely genius. That's great. Well, that first movie that I did, I, I, I think it's called Mirror of Death. And uh, we shot it in nine days. And the whole idea of that to save money was that the way rental houses work for equipment, for the camera rentals and the lighting is that you pay for a three-day week, right? But if you're shooting on Monday morning, then you have to pick it up Friday afternoon. Well, of course, we started shooting Friday night and shot straight through yeah. nine days until sun the following Sunday, you know, a week and a half later on Sunday, and turned it in, uh, you know, Monday, turned the gear back Monday morning, paying three days for the nine days of work there. And so... That was that was fun. It was crazy. We shot it all in one house. Very much the same the same idea. That was Jessica Rich yes. that she produced there. So, and they made a ton of money on that too. It was perfect. It had a great box art, and away you go. <laughs> so, what was the first movie like? You were doing those like the that worked out well that you had that opportunity to get those credits and they're successful. What was the first one that was like a bigger budget where you had like the more time? Maybe you really get all the shots that you wanted in. That's the one that you kind of, I think, originally reached out to me about, which would have been Catch Me If You Can. 
to be honest. So I'd done three Corman movies, two and a half Corman movies. I say half because one of them was, like you said, uh, a whole bunch of rehashed scenes <laughs> from others. Yeah. We literally, yeah. it's called Back to Hollywood Boulevard 2. And they stole a bunch of footage from other scenes. It is, it's, it's pretty ingenious how they put it together, but still yeah. pretty stupid. So anyway, but that was Catch Me If You Can, where we actually had a script, a real director, a real producer, a little bit of money. Uh, it was perfect. It was, perfect. it was really fun. Although that's not a sequel. No, the sequels I reached out to you were uh, like Ghoulies Go to College, which I just watched the other night. Yeah. Eastmaster yeah. 2 I watched. And then last night I watched The Mist. So it's like the difference. It's crazy when you look at anybody's career, like actors, directors, like everybody has to start somewhere. But so I think right around the timeline wise, like Ghoulies Go to College is 90 and Braden Dead's 90. doesn't matter which one's first, but let's talk about Ghoulies Go to College. Oh, my gosh. That... <laughs> <laughs> these are all the ones that uh, you've done very nice research i think these are not even on my resume or, or uh, I, 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 they're I, not I, on your I, website you like you erased yeah. them from yeah. these are not the movies you've seen <laughs> <laughs> i love it ghoulies go ghoulies go to college was really fun it absolutely was really fun uh john beekler who was i think his deal was mostly as puppeteer on the first couple yeah and he's a big time specialist next guy too yeah yes yes and so it was fun it was really good uh some the producer on that ian patterson went on, he's still doing great i think he went on to uh produce things like stranger thing or no that's wow. right oh what's the other not oa anyway it'll come back to me yeah he's doing great you know he's <laughs> And so he started there. Bob Lemchin was another, uh, he, I think it was like the assistant accountant. He went on to be head of production at Paramount or something like that. <laughs> you know, these are all a long time ago. We were all very young doing, you know, doing fun. But uh, go, go, college. That was so, that was so silly. It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Like they're all silly. Like the first one's silly. The second one's yeah. silly. But just the fact when they, when the, when the clothes fall on them, and they perfectly go on them, and they're dressed up like crap, bro. It is just, and the fact Kane Hodder's in the movie. Ah, uh, yeah, Kane is great. Did a couple of things with him. He's wonderful. That's a great reason too. And he gets to be him too. That's that's cool too. The opening scene, he just like falls into a bucket, and then just it's going on a bucket. He's flying on like a bucket with wheels into a professor. They uh no like it was pretty ridiculous the 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 whole thing there they I trying to think who the cast was I remember there was this absolutely very very cool leading lady but yeah most of them didn't really go on too much yeah yeah she was in it's so funny we covered a movie that she was in she was in RoboCop three she had like a little line okay. she was like a newscaster yeah, yeah. I'm like she looks familiar she was just on I one thought of the she was yeah. I think she was on yeah, CSI Miami. Yeah. Okay, so I that's not bad, but I thought she would have gone much much farther because she was actually not a not a bad actress, and and I thought she looked great. So it was like, oh well, you you never know. Sometimes that's uh, agents, managers, yeah. other, not really the actor's fault there. Uh, going back to John Beekler, I remember he had a definite affinity for all of his puppets. <laughs> Between takes, he would stop. And have long conversations with his puppet there, you know, 
except you, his hand was coming up the conversation, coming up the back of the, the puppet, uh, a little, a little uncomfortable at times. <laughs> he's giving you direction. He's talking to you about like, the shot. And the puppet's telling me, yeah, we're going to go over here and then do over some of this there. It's like, uh, do I talk to you or the puppet? <laughs> about what I think we should be doing. Oh my gosh, man. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. And then Brain Dead. I was listening to an interview of both Coleman uh, the oh. other day, and he was talking about that because he was on Mark Maron, and Mark Maron's like, you know, like the Bill Paxton. You get yeah. that a lot, and he goes, oh, "I worked with him. We were good buddies." And he was on that movie. Yeah, yeah, that was an incredible cast, unbelievable cast. Where you just that was Roger Corman, by the way. It was yeah. too. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Production designer Catherine Hardwick went on to do a whole bunch of great films too. And then she, uh, Al, Adam Shapiro, I think was the director. I'm, again, I'm just digging these off of, I yeah. should have my computer out. No. Okay. IMDb. Uh, great writer. I think he, he, he wrote a bunch there. And then that cast, Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton. I mean, holy cow. I mean, really. And, and, and Bud Court. What? <laughs> you know, this is awesome. Bud Court. I mean, that was like, Bud Court is amazing. That was sort of, uh, uh, for Hild and Maude, that was always my test for girlfriends, you know, is if they liked Harold and Maude, then we can go on to a third date, you know? <laughs> that was the test. That was it, you know? If you didn't pass that, it's like, mm, yeah, nice to see you, and then just ghost them. <laughs> oh, man. No, that was that was a tweaked movie. That was very good. That was fun. That's what we talked about. At the time, it didn't get like a lot of movies. There's so many movies that now, like the Monster Squad, uh, even Howard the Duck. There's so many movies that don't get that love at the time. And then years later, people look back. They're like, "Oh my god, this was so unique. You went for it." And that movie's like that too. Thank you. I think it really was. It was out there. And, uh, we were all very young and we were all in, you know, that the cast, director, writer, production stuff, everyone, we, we, we bought into it. I think it's really cool. It's, yeah. it's, it's really out there. And, and it's a little, you know, it's one of those films where which, you know, which plane of consciousness are we working on there? You have to, you have to think on it a little bit. Of course, Roger Corman had no idea what to do with it. He was just buying the name of the cast and like, yeah. like how could, what, what's the poster going to look like? So he didn't care how it was released or if it was released, just as long as he sold his videotapes there. That's great. And it worked out for him so many times. Like with that mindset, should, it worked out. It's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. I should go watch that film again. I had just you bringing that up. I hadn't thought about that for 20 years. And like, there were some cool, cool things in there that were, yeah. Yeah, Bill's story is cool. Bill Pullman's story is cool. He was from like West New York in like really like Appalachia, like a small town. His dad was a doctor. Like his whole family's doctors. Uh, and he didn't make it out to Hollywood until like 85. And I think he was, God, I feel like he was like 
35 or something. I was mind blown yeah. that he was that old yeah. because he doesn't look it. Even in like no. Independence oh, no. Day, I don't feel like he's playing a president, but he doesn't look old. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were great. The cast, they were really, really nice. Very genuine, very wicked. Uh, we did a scene where, <laughs> one small thing, we did a scene where they were out in the water and it happened to be this foggy day there. And everyone had to be out in this kind of, and we're just lucky. It's Southern California. We get the June gloom. You know, it's foggy quite often that time of year. Took a boat out into the ocean with everybody on board. And the idea is the cat, you know, he's going to wake up in the ocean. Turns out, though, when it's foggy, if you have any inclination to seasickness. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So, so this is the first person went, you know, someone in the hair and makeup department, I believe it was, you know, and then that smell kind of comes wafting back from the front of the boat to the back. And I'm not joking. Every single person on that ship started puking over the side. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember if his bud or Bill was in the water, but they went in because that felt fine. You know, that was all right to do there. We're hanging a camera off the back of the boat, trying to film, trying to get done, get back to get back to shore as soon as possible. No one's, you know, there's no one checking makeup or hair or wardrobe or script because they're all green hanging <laughs> over the, the gun walls there. And I mean, even to the point where as a cinematographer, you have an assistant camera and that's the person responsible for focusing, standing next to you. And, you know, we're filming and he just kind of leaned over and, went, Bleh, and then went back to work on uh, <laughs> focusing the camera while we're working there. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna have to watch that film again. That was yeah. There's some really, there's some really great images in there. It's like again, Catherine Hardwick, the uh, production designer, she went like, uh, what was it? Something Snow White and the Huntsman, and maybe one of the Twilight movies. She's she's big. You know, she did some fantastic films after that. But she was just the production designer on that, and just her brain is is beautiful. You know, it's really, 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 really. Gorgeous ideas that she comes up with. And then Paxton, I'm sure you might know this. He's a Corman guy. Him and uh, James Cameron used to build sets. Uh, Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Amazing. What a kid. He's a hoot, too. He's really, he's that much energy on and off the set. He really, he's he's not, it's not like he flips a switch and turns on. I think he just turns a switch off at night when he goes to bed. And that's it. So at this point, do you have like a crew that you always work with? Like, do you have like your go-to, like you get hired for a movie, you could call, I don't know, how many people do you have on your team? Well, it, that's that's kind of a sad story in a way, because what happened is that back probably about 19, not terrible, don't worry, it's not tragic. You okay. don't have to pull out tissues or anything like that. <laughs> you know, easy, it's okay, it's okay. No, probably back about 2008. I, prior to that, I absolutely had a crew that was with me. Uh, you know, Bill Gerhardt, Richard uh, Cantu are the main operators, uh, Bonnie Osborne, uh, David Hayball, Gaffer, Kevin, Kevin Ball, uh, Key Grip. And this, this unit really did work, uh, almost continuously from 2000 to 2008, almost every day. And we literally, uh, yeah, for the mist, they, uh, it was such a tight crew that on the mist, uh, Frank Darabont really wanted the crew. I don't think he cared about me. 
uh, as a cinematographer, but he loved all the people that I had assembled to work with me. And so we were supposed to shoot that up in Toronto and the unions up there did not want to bring in that many Americans to work on the show. And so we, so Frank Blessum said, no, no, I have to have these people. So we went and shot The Mist in Shreveport, Louisiana. Wow. Which is, and, you know, and we would, uh, each night when we're eating dinner at the local Applebee's, he would say, you know, <laughs> we could be having a very nice steak dinner up in Toronto right now, but I wanted to work with you. And so we were very thankful to Frank for being loyal to us all. Oh, man. Was it your switch to TV? Was that what it was? Um, what happened is that a lot of the work started spreading out across the country. And I've only shot in uh, Los Angeles for less than eight weeks since 2008. Wow. It's been, yeah, no, it's been Chicago and Atlanta, uh, New Orleans, uh, Vancouver, uh, not in that order, just, yeah. just there's as, as much going on outside of LA as in LA there. And just the way it worked out, my kids were older at that point, so I could travel and that's where the jobs were. And so it's, it's fine. I love, I love all those cities that I named too. They were great to work in. They're really, really fun. Yeah. So, oh man. So unfortunately, what that means is that on those cities, part of the reason they're going there is to save money for the productions which also means one or two or zero of your crew members get to be brought in. Ah, so, okay. it, yeah, the, we it just can't really, you know, haven't had the band back together since, since 2008, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, oh well, they're doing great. Everyone's really successful. You know, uh, Billy Gearhart, one of my operas. Yeah. Yeah. He's very important to early success in the career. He's the, Producer director on the TV show SWAT. Oh, uh, Richard Cantu is sort of a, seems to be the C camera operator on almost every Marvel movie shot in Atlanta. <laughs> you know, they're all, they're all doing very well. You yeah. Know, they're all very great. So, oh, man. Just, we're all just in different places. I miss them. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to be that familiarity when you're on set, and I'm sure, but. Oh, know, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's very efficient. And, and again, that's, uh, like I said, people would, yeah, uh, there's another producer, um, who, Laura, Laura Taub, who would actually delay her productions till we, this, me and the crew was available there. So wow. that was, it was flattering. It's really nice. You know, no, that's really amazing. Great. And we'll talk about The Mist later because I watched that last night. That's still, yeah. still one of my <laughs> favorite movies. Like, and it's great, isn't it? Yeah. It's really good. Just when a movie's totally set in great. like one place. I always think it's so fascinating. Yeah. Like when you can do that yeah. and it'd be a two hour movie and you're captivated because they're there pretty much an hour 50, hour 55 and you're into it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I, I quite proud of that. It yeah. worked out really well. Oh, dude. Awesome. And I have, a, I have a few questions when we get there. No, but like in between. So after that, you're still obviously doing a bunch of movies. You have like, and you, you mentioned the playboy before when you did that, short film yeah and then you were doing the inside out that was like a playboy yeah oh that was my real uh graduate school oh uh, anthology series with some uh, again a uh, great job with the uh, producer reed shane ended up 
bringing in some fantastic directors. A lot of them went on to very successful careers. Again, we're all just kids. Yeah, people got to start somewhere. Yeah, we're all in our 20s there. And that, that was that was fun. That was really a blast to do that. And the idea there was it was an anthology show. Uh, each each uh, story got to be its own, just in whatever look you wanted to apply to it. Oh my gosh, that was that was that was, that was very formative in my years. Yeah. There, uh, you can't watch it at home with the kids, yeah. unfortunately. But but it wasn't it wasn't raunchy. Yeah. It was still kind of very much a soft R sort of thing there. Uh, that was fun. We'd shoot black and white. We'd shoot uh, reversal stocks. All these kind of uh, very whatever whatever we wanted. It was very progressive on what was going on look wise there. It was a blast. It was really fun. Was that your first time that you were able to yeah. do like an outside of the box kind of thing? Because obviously you're still learning and doing. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they and they supported that. It was all young. They just wanted it to, to be very trendy there. One of my favorite stories there though <laughs> i hope this is a pro this will be uh this will, actually this will be kind of pg rated sure. it's so it's the first day we're a couple days into the shoot we have a new dolly grip the guy that pushes the camera down the track yeah. right the rail everyone knows what that's all about and we're shooting a playboy channel scene and this one is set in a barn as probably you know and many playboy stories would be set in a barn there He's he's pushing the camera down, you know, we're lining up the shot, kind of tracking along there. And the actress goes, well, looky here, I forgot to wear my panties. And right then he drove the camera off the track. <laughs> just, I, I've never seen it before. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> just it's like, uh, okay, it's your first day, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, you know. It's like, yeah. I would probably do the same thing. This is that like was an old, a blast. Uh, this is the glass from the Playboy Club. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was that some like, antique awesome. thing for like a buck, and I'm like, I have to get this. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's <it. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, no, just looking at all, like, all these movies, like we talked about those, Philadelphia Experiment 2, and then you have a bunch of TV movies, like 94, probably for the next like four or five years, you did a lot of like TV movies. Was that just connecting yeah. with the right yeah. producer or the production company yeah no that was that would just kind of fit right into my skill set and level experience wasn't doing major motion pictures and network uh in that that was an era and time when tv movies were going on yeah. there and they're they're great i could do three of those a year pay for my food and you know the vet bill for the dog yes. and so it worked out it worked out great and there were some great, uh, there actually some of them were really great. All of them had some amazing cast in there too. I got a chance to work with, with Peter Bogdanovich was the director on one of them there. I think Price of Heaven is what it finally came out as. And Cicely Tyson. That was awesome. Oh, cool. It was really fun. It was really great. Yeah. And I noticed that you followed around, uh, Scott Bakula a lot. Throughout your career. Oh, yeah. Every, like, vice versa. Yeah. Well, yeah. It just seemed like a few times you worked over like in the 90s, probably in the 2000s, and then pretty recently, right? On... That's absolutely <laughs> great. I, I, he's one of the few – I got to say this correctly. He, he's actually a 
<laughs> You're laughing at me. <laughs> Hope I don't get in trouble. Uh, he's actually a genuinely nice person. You know that 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 guy that everybody loves on Quantum Leap. That the real. Yeah. He really is that person. He'll he'll walk on set and he'll know the name of the van driver wow. and the craft service person and the assistant, you know, uh, sound person. And he'll know what sports team they like. And he's not, it's not like a deliberate thing. So I, anyway, sorry, I'm just gushing about Scott. No, he's great. I, I love still him. know him, still stay in touch with him. Uh, yes. And it kind of worked both ways. He was on some shows that I worked with. He took a shine to me, took him on to some other shows that he worked with. Oh, no too. way. And that was the most recent connection was he was down on uh, NCIS New Orleans yeah. for many years. I was already working when they started that show. And when Gordon, the cameraman, decided to leave, he checked and it turned out that I was available. It was fun. It was a great, it was a great time. I got, I, here's it's a question. Great to see him again. Here's like a, a question that Bill Perlman talked about. I wanted to ask you about it because you did like that transition, like not even the transition, like working on TV shows. Is it because he was talking about like directors and he's like the hardest job is being a director for a day on like a TV show because there's what's there's a look to the show a feel to the show yeah is that difficult like going on to a show do you have to like watch the old ones to keep the continue they do that yeah they'll send you depending on how long the show's been on the air they'll send you a pack of a few or all of the episodes usually they'll send along like some recommendations on which ones are are you should look at that they wish the show looked like all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> TV directing, uh, I've done it. I'm not very good at it. I wish I was better. I'm sorry I'm not. It, it just is what it is. That's just not my skill set. I, I love it. I, I want to do more of it, but I wish I was better at it. But the ones that are good at it, it's really incredible. I've worked with some of the best TV directors there. And they are able to kind of come in and they really just read the room instantly. They're able to work with the cast members. They're able to work with what we call the showrunner. That's the person who's kind of the main writer. Most of the time, that's the person that created the show. Not always. Sometimes that person's a little too creative and they send them away. <laughs> <laughs> and they get someone a little more just uh, nuts and bolts to 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 grind out the shows it's it, it is it is product definitely but within that product everybody studio network uh cast producers want something creative they want something nice just want it done on time and without too much stress <laughs> so anyway tv directors that's that's a amazing skill the good ones it's incredible what they can do there. I, 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 you know, there's some a, a script supervisor once described it as being to death by chickens because all day long <laughs> they ask stupid little questions that don't mean anything, but they actually do at some point. And if you answer if you answer wrong on one of those, three days later, you might punch someone on the right in one scene, but then the bruise is on the left in the other scene, and you didn't answer that chicken's question correctly three days ago to, to, to know what's going on there. It is so crazy when they, that happens in movies and stuff. And you're just like, you get it. There's so much going on. 
when you're shooting a movie. Yeah. Like, we did Halloween four, and in one of the they like changed the way Loomis's like scar was, and it looked so bad. And one of the scenes, Michael Myers, the guy late at night, the actor grabbed the wrong mask yeah. and he wore a blonde mask for a scene. So it's like this blonde mask, yeah. like a yeah. pivotal scene that they couldn't afford to reshoot. Oh, oh, see that. It, it, my feeling on that, I, I, I hate that. I apologize to all of the audience when that happens. We're professionals. We should be able to not have that happen. Uh, but we're also still human sometimes. Yes. And it's late at night. Like you said, he just grabbed the wrong mask <laughs> and it's still a business. I'm sorry. It, it, it's embarrassing for me when we have those those errors there it really is and who's supposed to catch it is it everybody's eyes on it or is there one person that is looking at the cup was on that side of the table well yeah to that end it is each department is responsible you know so there's a an effects department there's a wardrobe department Say a makeup department should, or special effects makeup should know what side the scar yeah. is on or the bruise is on. And then over all of that, there is the script supervisor, and that's who's you know, trying to double check for everyone. And the script supervisor, they get a lot. It's amazing how much they get, but still, they're now watching all of those departments. So sometimes it gets through. I mean, even for a cinematographer, I, I try to pay attention if the we might shoot a scene weeks apart and if there was a yellow light on this side of the door you kind of don't want it to be suddenly blue on when they come through that door at another location there and so that's that's my responsibility too that 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 lighting continuity yeah absolutely <laughs> what was the movie so you're talking about doing those tv it's funny your career like when you started vhs was big like that, get fill up the yeah. fill up the aisles yeah. because people want to run. And yeah, that, fill up the aisles. That was exactly really? it. Didn't matter what it was. If it if it had a cool box, yep. if it had a cool box art, it was worth about five hundred thousand dollars. So whatever you made the movie for, less than five hundred thousand was profit. <laughs> it is so funny when you think about true, that. True. Like it's absolutely how true. many times that as a kid, like I, I'm thirty five, so it's not like I I went to the video store. I grew up on that. When you got duped by the cover, when you're like, "This looks awesome," and you bring it home, yeah. and you bring it home, it sucks. But the difference is now, yeah. now if I get duped on Netflix or a streaming service and it sucks, I can turn it off. But when you went and rode your bike to rent it, like you had to watch it, you almost forced yourself to watch it. And maybe that's why I remember so many of these like sequels that some people forget about because I've watched them and I'm like, I gotta watch it because there's nothing else on. And you didn't have any other box. That's exactly. It, you know? It's like can watch a can watch a rerun of MacGyver. That was your only <laughs> yeah. choice. You know? <laughs> so yeah, so the TV movies. There's a ton of those coming out because that's what like the next wave was. Was like, hey, let's not yeah. get the people yeah. to go to the store. Exactly. Let's get them to tune in on a Saturday night yeah. or Friday yeah. night. So what was yeah. the movie yeah, exactly. that got you to that next level? Like, was it? It wasn't Christmas Vacation too. That we that was one of the first. Uh, uh, no. That's the one I think I first emailed you about. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's yes. We're not going to do that. We we decided no. uh, to do Ghoulies go to college. Then that would be more fun. Uh, Ghoulies go. 
Those are all really fun yeah. films. Uh, oh my gosh. Christmas Vacation 2 was a blast to work on. That's another cheesy sort of cash in uh. movie there. You know, I'm really, really sorry that the grown-ups on that film could not play nicely because Randy Quaid did some ad libs that were insanely uh. funny. I mean, really, but, when we're shooting it, people are ruining the take because you just, it hurt. It hurt. Oh, really? You know, it was really, really funny. But the writers, uh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know who, who or what, but the short answer is they, Randy asked for some writing credit on that. He didn't get it. And so they had to take out all of his ad libs and it, you know, it, it's half the movie that we shot, oh, unfortunately. I talked to Cousin yeah. Catherine yeah. like I, two weeks ago. Period. Uh -huh. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's great. You got some good people coming in there. Good for you. Yeah, man. No, you. Uh, I think the one that we'll, we'll talk about it, it's probably like coming up in your career, like sort of coming up. But uh, I think the one that really helped me out was William Sadler. Like his, I emailed his manager or whoever assistant and within like the i sent emails on like a saturday night me and my wife were out with our daughter eating lunch i get an email it's like yeah he'll do it can you do it tomorrow or something i was like oh my god yeah i can do it tomorrow like whenever you want <laughs> yeah, so he was a big one because i feel like there's so many other people i interviewed that either worked with him or love love him so they're like oh if william did it i'll do it yeah uh, right right there that's cool. Now that, it's good. And that's, gosh, you know, you keep asking these kind of what led to breakthroughs. Yeah. And, but really very much in my career, it's, it's all little steps. And it sounds like you're right on that track also. So oh, congrats you. to you. Yeah. I'm happy for you. That's really good. No, but then at that point of your career, like the myth sort of, you know, like I know you're doing, starting to do TV, yeah. like the shield. Right, right. Well, the shield was, was really, yeah, The Shield was really kind of, I would say that was a pretty pivotal oh, yeah. time for the career. I had done a, I'd done a TV series just right before that for uh, TNT, Turner Network, their first series uh, called Bull, and it was kind of about day traders right before the dot-com yeah. bust. So it's kind of an ill-timed idea. Everybody was bitter and broke after losing all their money in the stock market, so they didn't really want to see a bunch of you know, uh, investment bankers running around dressed fancy and getting the girl. Anyway, so I was, but I was really kind of done with television at that point. It was a very unsatisfying production. Just, it's just very TV in there. And so I really wanted to go back to features and was willing to take the financial risk. Let's remember that TV is five to nine months of steady yeah. work. Uh, it's a grind, but when you're a family man, sounds you know you've got really? a daughter, you know you wanna you wanna provide. You know that sometimes leads to your choices. Anyway, so after doing Bull, I went in for a TV for an interview on uh, The Shield, and I was not interested in doing a TV show. I was very cocky and standoffish during the interview on that show, and yeah, for that show. And, uh, I mean, I still presented, but 
I was like, no, nah, I don't really want to do TV. Maybe I'll do the pilot. So turns out I got hired for the pilot. We can back up to a story about the FX pilots there uh, for that cycle. And I did the pilot. It was fun. It came out great. But I remember thinking while I'm shooting the pilot, like, are you kidding? A cop show in L.A.? Do you know how many nights that's going to be? I'm never going to work on this show again. I, no way. If it gets picked up, forget it. I'm going to turn it down. And so, but it was really great. And they used some great stuff. And the director, Clark Johnson, was so, uh, I don't know, inspirational for as a crew member there. And the producers, uh, Sean Ryan, the showrunner, Scott Brazil, the producer, just really wanted something different. You always hear this in these interviews, yeah. but these guys actually wanted something different. And the shield was off the charts for what was going on at that point in television there. And and I love the people at FX. They said, why do we have to pay uh, HBO $10 a month? Why can't we just put good programming, progressive, you know, aggressive uh, shows on regular, you know, on cable TV there. And so blessings to them, blessings to the producers. And sure enough, they actually really did want to go for it. And I went for it. I really did. And everybody, it just kind of blew up and it became the the style for TV shows for many years after that. I mean, remember FX at this period? Their only other show was Son of a oh, Beach with Howard Stern. Howard Stern and uh, <laughs> you know, that was, was the other guy. The dad, was their other the dad show. from uh, from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I can't think of his name, but he's in a ton of stuff. But yeah, oh, yeah. he was the he was the yeah. I mean, lifeguard on that show. Yeah, I know. It was like this cheesy, silly, yeah. like really cheap looking, didn't matter show there. So that was that was really kind of a big break. Wow. I don't know if break is the right word, but that was a very milestone moment in my career there. Finally, someone was willing to let the creative people, both the production design, the cinematography, the acting, the writing, just go do it. And that's what that's kind of the magic of all what's going on so much now on Netflix and these other streaming series is they let the artists be artists there and that was really yeah, this is back in 2000 and yeah this is a long time ago you know and, and for for years after that i i would get calls from other cinematographers asking okay they want it to look like the shield so can i ask what you that do you know? <laughs> but the one thing i wanted to ask you about was like the mist because one thing that i was able to find was Obviously, I love the movie. We talked about that before, but I love the little like 12 minute documentary about scene 35, which I would not have found it if I didn't look on your IMDb under self. Uh, and I Googled oh, it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, dude, that was intense. Ah, uh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, no, that's very good. Tell me, what is scene 35 just so I can know? Because I'm. Oh no, no, I know. I'm sure you know. It was a, it was like a documentary. I'm sure they filmed like because DVDs were at that point. You could do yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah. So it was the scene that they tried to everything that was storyboarded by Frank. 
they couldn't yeah. do. So everything was on the fly. And like one fascinating part about it was because obviously you have your, it's your work. When people watch that movie, they're seeing your work, just like anybody that's involved. And he was like, he looked at you and he's like, Ron, do you think we can use the artificial lights and like add it into the scene? And your face was like, I, yeah, I think, I think it could work. And he's like, well, it's going to have to work. <laughs> it was so clever. Like oh, watching that. What was going on? Yeah. 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 Okay. Unreal. His- that was, that was really fun. Well, that actually was a transition from the shield. That's a perfect segue. Yeah. Because Frank came in and directed an episode of The Shield. And that's how he met me and the rest of the team. And this is, again, segue from what you were asking about earlier, about having, you know, like a a crew that you're working with. And at that point, it it had been a crew. And when we were applying for that job to take the people up to Canada, we figured out that those two camera operators, Billy and Richard, had actually been on the set for over 10,000 hours together. And so they really did have this magical connection there as operators, and we could communicate in such a shorthand there. So that's why Frank really wanted us for his low budget, the miss. (laughs) But it was was low budget for Frank. He could have gotten a lot more money if he had changed the ending. But he was really adamant about that very dark ending there, which is not necessarily in the novella from Stephen King there, but he, whatever, that was just where his brain was at that point. He just had that kind of, you know, dark feeling. That's amazing that somebody was like, if you do a different ending, you'll get more money, but he was so sad. Yeah, no, exactly. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, so he had to do it for you know eighteen or twenty million, and he could have had essentially whatever he wanted for that film there if it had a happy ending there. <laughs> uh, but that's what's powerful about that film Ugh. is that ending. Oh my god, I still get chills thinking about that. It's really remarkable. It, Did everybody know so about that? Did they keep that no. like hush hot? Yes, have you? Is, I don't know what's out there in the world, but maybe this is an exclusive. But it was very limited who had that. Obviously, the people writing the check, so the studio or, or producer, you know, knew about that. And, and beyond that, it's pretty pretty small list of people. Obviously, I was involved in that. Uh, the main cast knew about that. You know who did not know about that was the the boy. Why? And so uh, obviously his parents did. Yeah. And Frank in Frank Darabont in all of his genius did not tell him the boy that that's what was going to happen. And I I'm getting chills telling this. So when we filmed that moment there where he opens his eyes and there's a gun pointed at him, that is not acting (laughs) he had no idea that was like the third take on the other two takes he was just supposed to open his eyes and on the third take kind of frank gave the signal and they held the gun up to his face you literally see his eyes dilate you know in the fear there it's incredible and that's just sort of you know genius directing because that's something you can't act 
and, and acting it. He was an amazing actor. That 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 boy. He was absolutely incredible. But still, you can't really act that moment there. Wow. So you know, like I said, that might be an exclusive for you. I don't know how many people. No, that's amazing. That, it, it I never knew really, that. Really, really incredible. No, like I was saying, it's so funny. Whenever I talk to people, it seems like sometimes there's like these, like full circle. Like there's other things that recently happened. I just thought about now. Like I watched it with the Sex in yeah. the City with the Peloton bike. Did you hear about that and everything? No, no. What's that? Oh, so they kill. I never watched it. My wife did, but the the original. But she was like Sarah, Mich- uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's like husband yeah. in the show. He dies in the show on the first episode of the new show using a Peloton bike. He has a heart attack, but in order to cover it up, they filmed like five or six days worth of fake scenes with him in it. Oh, so people had no nice. idea. Oh, that's a good, so, so that's what I was think thinking. That like he was okay. Yeah. 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 So I was thinking like with the mist, when I that's watched great. it, I'm like thinking about that. Did did the other people not involved just think there was a different ending or they just didn't get that page? Yeah. Or? Cause it, yeah. Yeah, no, there was there was a you know sort of a limited script, you know, with your name on it that had the actual piece there, and uh, we were filming that. You know, it all takes place in that little in the car there, you know, in the SUV. So only the people in that car and the camera operators really, you know, there's really a dozen people would have known yeah. about that, and and so yeah, it was pretty, it was it was cool to be a part of that. Yeah, it, Frank's Frank's genius. He's he's pretty yeah. amazing. Uh, he, you know, another uh, little known fact: almost all of the effects or all of the creatures in there are digital. It's kind of right as digital was coming to be okay and affordable there. But we had for the whole production, we had a, a puppet team: Greg Nicotero, you know, nice. from Walking Dead. He had he was down there. And his whole puppet team was there for the, I don't remember what the shoot was, six or eight weeks, 10 weeks, something like that. So they kind of hang out and they would bring out their puppets and their wires and handles and giggles <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. We'd, we'd shoot sort of a reference of that, you know, the thing flopping about. And then we'd take it out and then shoot it kind of blank with the actors reacting to that. And that's what's in the film. It's all the digital yeah. stuff. There, I think there's one... I think there's one shot with an actual latex uh, tentacle in it, you know, in the garage in the back there. Yeah. And even that one, you kind of go, oh, that looks rubber. You know, well, that's, <laughs> that one actually is rubber. You know? <laughs> like, that's why it looks rubber suddenly. <laughs> no, I love the the cast is great. I love, obviously, William Sadler. Yeah. Him, and, him and Frank's connection is, like, so cool. Like, they've yeah. known each other for yeah. since Frank shot uh, Tales from the Crypt that – William oh, really? was uh, Yeah, that was like the first time they met. Williams, like when I asked him his origin story, because he was always playing like, uh, like one of his first roles was like Man Who Fell Downstairs on the Newhart Show in like the eighties, <laughs> and then he auditioned for Tales from the Crypt for like a really small role, and casting directors loved him because they would always bring yeah. him in. Like I interviewed like two casting directors that would always bring him in, and then he just wouldn't get the roles like yeah. early on, and. He auditioned for a role, and then when he was leaving, he was like, hey, can I audition for The Executioner? Because it was the pilot of Tales from the Crypt. And they said, yeah, they kind of want a blank. And they said some guy's name. So then the lady was like thinking. He went to his car. 
she went out the window, looked out the window and said, okay, you know what? Let's just tape it for the hell of it. And then that changed it. He played the executioner then hard to kill then die hard too. And like, and that's where him and Frank met on the executioner, the pilot of tales from the crypt. And then look how much they worked with each other. I love that. Frank is like Scott Bakula, a very loyal person there bless him you know he he likes to have his people around him there and even if they have royal screw-ups he he stays with them there seriously you know he really does he'll he'll, he'll scream and yell and <laughs> berate them and <laughs> act inappropriately uh you know for anyone that really follows the internet there yeah. but he also is in the end loyal to those people too so yeah he has a vision like in that scene when you when people watch that i'm gonna put that in the notes like because i think it's so cool it's like 12 minutes long but he is able to rewrite a scene like live like while it's happening yeah and and rewrite it well or better yeah you know he really is he gets it he he gets it truly a genius yeah so ron you were talking about i don't know i know sometimes people update their imdbs and it's so long ago are you still teaching at all um, I like to, I'm trying to find something here in Chattanooga in the area. There's not too many, odd, uh, options now. I've checked with the local schools here and they don't really have any film programs. There's, I just, that's funny you mentioned that just today I reached out to a oh, university about 45 minutes away from here saying, Hey, you know, it's like, if you'd like me to come speak there. I'll report back if they actually said yes. <laughs> it's know. hard. Maybe after this, maybe after this interview, they won't, they won't do that. Yeah. You know, but even back in the day, there was like what the major cities had it. And maybe like there, I think there was one in Texas in the eighties, but now it's like yeah. more and more, but I don't know if Tennessee Gosh, or Chattanooga has it. There's a big program up in uh, middle Tennessee university, but that's about two hours away. And oh, then yeah. Atlanta, has some nice programs going on too, both at uh, SCAD, uh, which is the, what's that, South Carolina? Or, oh, Savannah's, anyway. Oh, Savannah State, yeah, one of SCAD. those? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, they, they have a really nice film program there too. But again, those are all two hours away. I'm trying to get a yeah. little bit closer. A little bit closer. Yeah. <laughs> have you taught any classes State before film. in the past? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I've, cool. I've lectured at American Film Institute, back at my alma mater. That's uh, awesome. At, also at Brooks Institute. I did a, kind of a reoccurring thing over at Northwestern. Had, you know, got tied in with one of the, the film instructors there. And that was fun. Each year, just kind of, we'd go in and figure out where his class was. Some were very basic, some were more advanced. Some would come visit the set. Other times we'd... Uh, do lighting demos or just lectures there, depending on what is appropriate there. It was fun. It was really great. I like it. That's cool. Full circle. You get to go to Fing- AFI. Yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, no, yeah. it's like, would love to share back more. Definitely yeah. a goal. Steven's there. You got to connect with Steven and then fly out and you could do like a day at yeah. Uh, AFI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now I know. It's a, no, Steven's, Steven's great. Uh, I, I, but again, just flying out for a day. I would love to have something close enough. No, sure. That yeah. I could actually help to that there. So anyway, it'll, it'll that kind of, that's the kind of thing that finds you. It definitely will. Yeah. Oh, so no, like what I always like to ask people to, at the end, there's two questions. One is if you yeah. didn't do this, 
if you didn't go into fall in love with photography, stumbled a, yeah. into that door, that forbidden door that you found <laughs> all that, was there any yeah. other like career paths that you had that you wanted to do? Yeah, kind of like a, a one and a half difference there. I think the half difference, if I hadn't been a cinematographer, I would have loved to have gone into special effects. You know, the, the guys on set that blow stuff up. And, yeah. But they also do a bunch of other things, too. They make props that do funny things or fall over or, or fall apart all at once. And that, I just love the kind of the, the problem solving that would go yeah. in with that. Is, is that. That would be fun. I would be very engaged in all of that. Plus, it's, how great is that to get paid to blow stuff up? Yeah. You know, like, who does you know? Okay, yeah, how big you want it? Yeah, we can do that. You know, I was like, absolutely. <laughs> you know, just give me a few minutes. Uh but then the other one, oddly enough, was as a parallel study track while I was in college before film was I was looking at finance there. So I could have been an investment banker flying yeah. around in a jet, you know, with a starch white shirt, uh <laughs> making ten times more money, but way less happy i'm sure yeah i think you made the right choice uh i i have no regrets i really don't it's, it's been great <laughs> blessings blessings to all the luck that i've had along the way there yeah man and uh Very i always like to ask folks it. like what did you ever take any mementos from set like along the years where you're like <laughs> yeah <laughs> any ones that are legal that you could talk about <laughs> uh, three come to mind uh there was a small airplane on uh, on the shield there's captain acevedo it, one of his backstories was he worked in the coast guard so i kind of grabbed his airplane there. Nice. <laughs> another one was on the show yeah I'm, i know they're going to be coming after me for yeah, sure. knock, knock, knock. I, i'll read I'll, I'll return them i promise if you come if you come searching for me yeah. another one was on uh this holly hunter show saving grace and there was this just kind of little figurine that she liked on her desk so that was when that show ended i help myself to that one nice. too. uh let's see i have a from the from chicago pd i have a halstead badge you know from one of the characters there nice the one that's most special to me though is the last episode of season one on the shield it was before it came out uh we didn't know we just thought we'd done something pretty cool with this show there but the last episode on the last day we shot for 27 hours. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, there's many stories that goes into that too. But one of the, the last parts there was uh, in the storyline, Dick Mackey played by Michael Chiklis um, breaks down because his family has run away from him and he's kind of in this lonely house, you know, crying, breaking down because his family is gone because of his job, his commitment to the job rather than commitment to the family. There, It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. And we shot that in, you know, hour 26 to 27 of the last day. So we're all just exhausted, buzzed out and everything like that. Finally, the lights come on and we're all hugging saying goodnight. And I looked down on the ground and there is a tiny little matchbook 
that uh, Michael Chiklis had handwritten in pencil, I am Vic Mackey. And he had been holding that during that whole scene there. And it's crumpled and sweaty. And I have that. That's <laughs> so <cool>. amazing. <laughs> you know? It's just so cool. This tiny little shard that carried this actor to what was a Golden Globe winning performance there. And a monster career. There. And that's, that's what's most precious. Yeah, and a monster career. So yeah. that, that's what's most precious to me in terms of items stolen from the set. That's <laughs> so, cool. And I, I look forward to returning it to him one day. I don't really have, you know, he, he, he deserves it there. But right now it's kind of special for me. That's awesome, man. No, it's so cool when I ask people that question. Sometimes it's like, oh, they gave us a memento at the end of the shoot. And like Steven yeah. took from, well, he asked, but he has like... <laughs> from one of the sets in Blade Runner, they had like a bunch of mannequin hands everywhere. And he took one and he, and he giggled when I asked him, he giggled and then ran and he goes, we use it as a doorstop. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Exactly. No, exactly. You know, my, my, uh, Captain Acevedo plane sits in our living room just next to some books there. (laughs) No, it's cool to have those mementos, like scripts. There's so many people that I talk to. They're like, I never really kept anything. And they like, some of them get like kind of emotional. Robert Hayes from airplane. He had all of his stuff in his house in California. And it was when the file fires hit like three years ago. And he was like, I was like, Oh, I shouldn't ask that. Oh no. Oh, what a career too. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 Irreplaceable. It is, you know, and they're only meaningful to the person that was, there, oh yeah you know it's like it, it really is you know sometimes have uh cast members sign dvds or posters there oh that's cool but it's it's not to resell they're it's, they're usually addressed to me there's not really any any meaning to anybody else there. that's not any use to anybody else there yeah no uh, ron i think it's so fascinating your career like the wave of the vhs store like we talked about uh the tv movie and i think yeah. the beginning of fx like that yeah. was the show. Like, it's, honestly, if that show didn't come along, Always Sunny didn't come out until 2005. Yeah. You might have not yeah. got like Always Sunny, The Americans, all these legendary shows that no. came on afterwards. Oh, yeah. It, you know, Sons of Anarchy would not have been there. Exactly. Any of those, right? It's like, think about how much seminal TV came out of that there. And so, yeah. And then really that spread to elsewhere, too. Other places also said, why why does hbo have to have you know what's the difference you know i mean they spend a lot more money on hbo (laughs) but the edginess like tv didn't have that edge you know no it really didn't it really didn't not not even close and and everybody tried to copy that for quite a while there too i think i think now with the streamers it's it's wonderful they let the creatives be creative and if it works it works and if it doesn't they don't hire them again they can't yeah all right they've tried it yeah like the independent films of 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 a long time ago yeah like you were saying like rediscovering all these you know howard the ducks and and yeah shows you know brain dead there i'm gonna try and track that down i'm curious oh i'm sure i think it's on something because i feel like i search for it but no like the you have like tubi and even amazon prime and uh like pluto tv all these apps oh yeah Dude, they have so many free, amazing movies, like 80s, 90s, like ones that you could just go back and just watch over and over again. 
Oh, that's great. I'm so glad that you appreciate all those old oh, dude. there. It's when movies are like movies, not like anything against like Aww. later movies or Marley Marvel movies, but I just I don't know, there there's just yeah. like more that not more that went into the process. I don't know. It's just like this weird bond that I have with the eighties and nineties. Yeah, it's, it's probably when you're forming. Too, yeah, of course. You know? But but they they were a little more singular, perhaps. You know, they weren't doing even all of these streamers. Almost all of them are longer shows. Very few few of them are just one offs. You know, just yeah, yeah. 80, you know, eighty five minutes. It's a perfect length. It really is. Everything's <laughs> all the features now are two hours, two and a half hours. I love 85 minutes. I think that's a great uh, movie length. Just enough time. That was uh, like Canon time. Films. It would never be over yeah. an hour oh, yeah. 29. Yeah. Oh, like, no. It would never be yeah. allowed. <laughs> I think that I think the reason for that is the reels were 10, 10 minutes long, and they didn't want to pay the process. I'm sure it was that. For another they reel. They were so cheap, so I'm yeah. Sure, I'm, I'm sure that's why... 85 minutes came in, you know, knowing yeah. that, okay, maybe 87 with credits, but still nine reels. Yeah. We're not going to yeah. go to 10 reels. That's, that's, it's where that stuff really came from. It really did. It absolutely, yeah. What that was about is like make it, making it for a profit. Ron, it's been awesome. Thanks for dealing with the technical and thanks for uh, doing this. <laughs> yeah. man. I appreciate it. Likewise. I hope it comes out coherent. Oh well, dude. No, it's I'm I'm, I'm good with that. I've been doing this a while now that I can I can piece it together. It's not like when they were slicing the film back in the day, but it's a lot easier with computers. But uh, yes, no, man. Yes, yes, yes. Man, Ron was such a blast dealing with the technical difficulties because he was, I think, the first guest that ever did Riverside. And he was such a trooper. I loved talking to him. So much fun. And uh, yeah, I felt like I was talking to a buddy. And those are always my favorite conversations. I love them all. So I'm learning about, you know, these people that I love that worked on these movies that I grew up loving and shows. And the fact that I love when he told me, you know, the mementos that he took from set, you know, taking the, the matchbook, that chickless, you know, grabbed in his hand and his connection to Steven Poster. And working with you know Roger Corman and The Mist. Ah, oh, that story about The Mist. Holy shit. I love that. Ah, oh, Ron was awesome. So, yeah. So, I'll put any links that we talked about at Ron's website. I'll put in the episode notes as well. And your homework. It's free on Tubi. Ghoulies go to college. The first Ghoulies installment that has talking ghoulies. And like Ron talked about, uh, John Beekler, great special effects guy directed Friday the 13th part seven, which is a great installment. So maybe he called uh, Kane and said, Hey, come on, I need you to do this quick janitor. You're going to be the coach and you're going to fall into the janitor's bucket in the beginning of ghoulies. Maybe, maybe that's how that worked out, but man, such a fun movie to discuss again. It's free on Tubi and our creature expert, which I've dubbed him. He's done Rocky five and two Munchie movies, Munchie and Munchie strikes back. Nick Spurdone. He's back for this one. And yeah, so don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.